Hey everyone, and welcome to the 66th episode of The Liam McCollum Show. Today's guest is Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown. I had wanted to have him on the show for a long time. I actually met him at Revolution 21 this summer. He's a really awesome dude, and I think it's actually a great moment to have him on because people are starting to see inflation on the shelves at their local store. They're starting to see shortages, and Janet Yellen has now proposed a tax on unrealized capital gains, which is absolutely insane. So we're going to talk about all of that stuff, why he got into the Liberty movement, and what woke him up to it. And I really hope you enjoy it. Remember to subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And then I'll also link to all of Clint's information in the description. Go subscribe to him on YouTube and follow him on Twitter. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Here's Clint. All right. Well, Clint, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mr. McCollum. Pleasure to meet you in, uh, was it Orlando? Yeah. Yeah, dude. What a, what a blast that was. I swear to God, libertarian events, I don't know if it's just because people now know me that it makes them so fun, but good God, they're fun. Uh, everyone should go to them. I, I really hope to be in a place where I can go to every single one. I, I want to make it to the Ron Paul event in November coming up, um, but I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Wait, when's Where's the Ron Paul one at? I didn't even know about it. I think it's in Texas. Uh, it's at the Mises Institute. Maybe, maybe not. Or I guess that's an Auburn. Ooh. Sounds appealing. I'll yeah, try and make it. My buddy Stratty's going and he really wants me to make it out. But uh, nice. yeah, I've been, I've been waiting to bring you on since, since we met in Orlando. Um, and I think it's a perfect time for it. Uh, sure I, is. And for a lot of people who don't know you, I'm sure most people listening to this will, but I, I kind of figured we could go into your backstory, how you got into um, libertarianism, how you became aware of like the federal reserve. I mean, I, I got, I was, I guess, aware of it through Ron Paul and the fed, what has government done to our money? I read that about two years ago. And I I started to sound like, I think the boy who cried wolf, where I was talking about inflation to everyone. So I just got tired of it because no one would listen, but now here we are, everyone knows the memes, right? Like, Everyone talks about inflation. It's in the news every day. So how did you become aware of it? And, and what's your story? Yeah, I'm a second gen libertarian. Uh, my dad discovered libertarianism in the 70s. Uh, you know, I was born in the 80s and, you know, I, I only saw him one weekend a month, but I would take these four hour car rides out to his nightclub that he ran out in Ridgecrest, California. And and on those four hour car, car rides one weekend a month, he would just indoctrinate me with founding fathers and basically what I, he never referred to it as Austrian economics, but I was definitely being schooled in Austrian economics. And I'm talking as like a five, six, seven year old, I'm getting this stuff. So uh, I was, I was indoctrinated very early on. Uh, I didn't really understand the, the full extent of the ideology um, until I was much older. Um, but I, I, I just kind of carried those principles with me, entrepreneurialism, uh, self-reliance, uh, just not blaming people for your problems, trying to you know fix things on your own, that type of mentality, and and it it served me well, um, and that kind of convinced me that the ideology had merit. Uh, but then I I obviously got more schooled up on the game once I was an adult, and I was reading, uh, I read In the Fed by Ron Paul, and that one definitely you know drove home more the why I was right, as opposed to just understanding it. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a real problem. Um, and then I've basically, my passion has been economics and business. So as a money manager, I managed, you know, a couple hundred million dollars at one point, and it was my job to be privy to macroeconomic um, movements and things of that nature. So it just basically, 
my passion and my career aspirations all came into perfect alignment. And I was just left with this perfect storm of like, okay, well, not only am I passionate about this, but it actually helps me in doing what I do professionally. And, uh, and it served me really well. Um, and I was basically able to retire last year, uh, during lockdowns and start to scream into a microphone semi-professionally. So that's what I do now. Yeah. Now, is there kind of like a backstory that involved the pandemic and, and why you decided to retire? <clears throat> I think I remember hearing this in another podcast. I think you were yeah. just like seeing the stuff around. Do you want to explain what happened there? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously lockdowns was a new phenomenon. I, I, you know, it's been happening for so long. I'm sure most people feel like, oh, this is just a thing that happens in life. Like, no, it's not. Uh, for the first 35 plus years of my life, it had never happened. It had never even been a thought and it would have been laughed out of the fucking room and we would have never, ever considered it ever. And then it just happened. So in the first two months of lockdowns, I, you know, I'm sitting there. My job is to be a steward for millions and millions of dollars and, you know, retirees capital. It's a very, it's a very serious job. And I took it very seriously. And I was looking around and I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen in this environment. If they, if they actually lock down the economy for an extended period of time and they don't print and bail out everyone, um, we're going to have a severe depression and my, all of my investments, which I have funded um, for my investors will end up underwater. And I couldn't continue on that path in good conscience. So even though it, it sacrificed an enormous amount of my, my income, I, I knew in that moment I had no choice. And you know, it turned out obviously that we had more time than I thought because they did end up printing and bailing out essentially everybody. Um, but I think that all that did was delay the day of reckoning as, as Ron Paul has popularized, like it, it's the bill will come due. Um, and, and my, my portfolio consists of two to two to three year mortgages. So I'm very grateful that the bill hasn't come due yet. My portfolio is rolling off as we speak. Many people are refinancing into conventional loans and I hope to be, uh, and I hope that my investors capital will be largely uh, moved to cash before the uh, the day of reckoning actually arrives. So that's that's the reason I, I shut my doors. The reason I started Liberty Lockdown is because I didn't feel that the the LP in particular was voicing my concerns in a in a you know strong enough manner to to represent how egregious all of this was. I was extremely disappointed in their messaging. I continue to be disappointed in their messaging. Um, obviously with Dave Smith, Tom Woods, a handful of people that, that are LP adjacent, more Mises caucus folks uh, that have done a good job of it. Uh, basically anyone on the national level, otherwise other, you know, outside of the Mises caucus failed fucking miserably at doing this. And I, I saw the void, I hopped into it and I was as pissed as anybody. So I think people gravitated towards me. Yeah, definitely. And when, when we talked in Orlando, we were just talking about how like, the federal reserve really needs to be almost in every single conversation about politics. And I think that yep. that's why people are gravitating towards you too. That's why I, I think you're great. And I wanted to have you on. Um, Appreciate it. The, the big thing, I think you, you mentioned mortgages is that BlackRock and a whole bunch of um, these companies that the federal reserve has contracted are buying mortgages uh, mm -hmm. for the fed. Um, do you, I think a lot of people are kind of unaware of exactly what's going on. Um, do you want to explain how this happened and what exactly happened in 2020? I know that's a, that's a lot, but wherever you want to take it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to that. BlackRock is kind of the fall guy in terms of the name that's being pushed out there. I, I think people are making a mistake to pretend as if like, 
oh, BlackRock is the reason none of us can afford housing. Like, no, no, it's not even close to that simple. And it's a huge mistake to just put like, it's like Blackwater, you know, like it, back in Iraq and Afghanistan, they'd be like, Blackwater is the bad guy. It's like, it's so much more complicated. Um, so I, I don't know if I can explain to people all of the reasons why it's wrong to just have one big, uh, you know, hedge fund type entity that that is your is your enemy in all of this. Um, but essentially, leaving BlackRock aside, it's it's largely predicated on the fact that the Federal Reserve has maintained and manipulated interest rates to keep them low for a, 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 a historic and extended period of time that we've never seen before. I mean, back in 2005, 2006, a a 30 year mortgage was around five and a half to six percent, some six and a half percent mortgages for the past five years now have been three to four percent. Now you can get 30 year mortgages under three percent in some places. It's insane. This is not I mean, this is not what any lender would ever accept as a return on their investment, especially when you're facing an inflationary environment, in which case you want to have your annual return outpace inflation. Otherwise, why the fuck would you make that investment? It makes no sense. So the only reason that you would do that is if you're getting the money for free. It's that's how it works. They get the money basically for free from the Fed window. They lend it out at two, two and three quarters percent. They make the spread. They're happy. They take no risk on because if they go bankrupt, they'll get bailed out by the feds. They know it. Um, so the entire system is broken. And basically, it has created a, an incredibly speculative environment where everyone is trying to buy real estate if they can possibly get their hands on it. And also, you had lockdowns. So it created this perfect storm where no one was producing supply. So you had this immense amount of demand for housing and no supply of housing because building got shut down for a long time. And then you also had the supply chain destruction that came from lockdown. So you have material shortages that have increased the cost, the input cost to build those houses. So that adds to the end price, to the end user. Um, So all of this is a perfect storm to increase the, the price of real estate. Uh, on a national level and probably global. I haven't really looked into global real estate to know that for sure. Uh, but as you can tell, it's a very complicated issue, but it's, 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 uh, it's not as simple as just BlackRock being the bad guys. So I hope people you know, will consider that. Yeah. And I, I think on that point, like you, you really do not want one scapegoat as the problem that you focus on, because then yep. if they could just get rid of it, right. If they just if BlackRock goes down, if like a new Occupy Wall Street movement starts up and everyone blames BlackRock, the problem won't go away if, if BlackRock no. does. And I think honestly- It's just like Blackwater. They renamed themselves and now nobody even knows who they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And it, I, it gets a little conspiratorial, but I, I kind of buy into it that it almost seems that they're setting up so many scapegoats to totally- avoid talking about the federal reserve like elizabeth warren is talking about the banks and how we need to regulate the banks and wells fargo specifically they're talking about blackrock then they're talking about all of these what's the term that jerome powell uses the bottlenecks it's like like obviously the bottlenecks are contributing to the to the whole thing but it's not the actual source of the problem no the bottlenecks are a product of the lockdowns in the first place the system was functioning fine prior to you locking down the global economy for no fucking reason. This is not complicated. It's actually quite simple. Don't do dumb shit and we won't have to do dumb shit to fix the dumb shit that you did. I mean, that, that's that's really what happened. Um, so w- for them to try and and, uh, you know, black sheep, black rock. It like BlackRock's probably a bad actor too. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not even here to defend them at all. So don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that they're good guys. They're, they are a capitalist enterprise that is deeply in bed with the government. And they are probably 
you know, at the top of my list of, of companies that I'd like to see go bankrupt. However, the problem is sits at the foot at the doorstep of the Federal Reserve. And unless you realize that you are not targeting the root cause, and that's a mistake because they will they will just rename the company. They'll break it up. They'll do some sort of like surface level fix that won't actually alleviate the issue. The issue is that the Federal Reserve has kept interest rates too low for too long. You shouldn't you shouldn't even have interest rates being set by a central bank. But if you're going to have them doing it, you certainly don't want them setting them at a at a below market rate for an extended period of time. It creates malinvestment on a grand scale, and we are now suffering under that. Um, and then you pair that with lockdowns, which is not the Federal Reserve's fault, but couldn't have happened without the Federal Reserve. And it's like this is all a product of government interference in the in the market. So now people are going to turn around, point at it, and say, "Look at what capitalism has done to us." It's fucking insane. <laughs> None of this is capitalism. Um, so that's that's what I try and drive home to my listeners is like, man, I, I understand why you're upset, but please direct it at the right people, because if you don't, they'll give you solutions that won't help you. Yeah. And and now with with the news that came out, I think it was two days ago, um, Janet Yellen was was talking. I don't I don't know exactly what it was. You can fill that in. Sure. And, and she mentioned something about taxing unrealized assets. And yep. Twitter blew up. Um, and yeah, thank God. Yeah, seriously. And, and, you know, even some people you wouldn't, who maybe are a little more blue pilled were reacting to this, like just, I know so, it, yeah, it blew wanna... my mind. Uh, it was, it was more, more specifically was unrealized capital gains um, for your listeners that may not understand what that means. Basically, if you, if you buy a home, say for 400,000 over a 10 year period, or in this ex- example, it would be over the past six months, it goes up to half a million dollars. Um, that means you, you have $100,000 in equity. Equity is an unrealized capital gain. That's all it is. So normally, historically, if you have an asset that appreciates in value over time, you don't pay taxes on it until you sell it because you don't have that cash to pay those taxes. It's a very simple uh, reason for why we've never done that in the past. So what this scumbag psychopath Janet Yellen wants to do is force you to liquidate assets every year to cover your unrealized capital gains taxes. It would be devastating to the economy. And I am not understating it. It would crush everybody. Now they're saying it's only going to apply to billionaires. No, it won't. <laughs> Fucking no, it will not. Uh, the income tax was supposed to only apply to the top 2% of, of earners that lasted about 10 years until we had world war. Uh, and then same thing with this. I would imagine it would happen even faster, probably within five years, they would justify applying it to the middle class. And then sure enough, it would be applied to the poor. Um, but the the red flag I raised that kind of went viral was, you know, I'm saying to people like the main way that you get off the lower rungs of the economic ladder is buying housing in this country. That is how the poor and the middle class have, have you know, taken a step up on the ladder historically. Is And it's simply because those assets appreciate over time because of the Federal, Federal Reserve's manipulation of the, of the money supply. So, over a 30-year period, you pay off that house. You're, you're a blue-collar guy. You're just paycheck to paycheck. But over 30 years, you pay off your house. The house you bought for 100 grand is worth a half a million at the end of it. And that's, that's how you retire. That plus Social Security and you, know, you sail off into the sunset. It's not, a, it's not a great way to live, but it's an honest living. And you know, God bless people that do it. It's, it's hard work and it's honest work, and I have no problem with it. They want to make that impossible. They want to make it so that as that appreciation happens, you have to pay taxes every year. And if you have to do that, you're probably going to have to liquidate that house way before you ever intend to. Um, And then to extrapolate upon that, this is also an attack and a front 
on the cryptocurrency community. They don't want hodling to happen because it is the best uh, methodology for defense against hyperinflation. For you to just hold an asset with limited supply for an extended period of time, that allows you to weather the storm of hyperinflation. They can't have that. And that's really what this is about, in my opinion, because they want us to be uh, dependent on the government and that's their goal. And if we allow this to happen, we'll get what we deserve and what they want. Yeah. And I think if you look at like the, the kind of like populist Wall Street bets thing that happened in the summer, or I guess last year, where, mm-hmm. where a whole bunch of people were investing in stocks. And, and then you look at the connection between Janet Yellen and who was paying her to give speeches and stuff like that surrounding the controversy. It, ju- it just seems clear that it would hurt people like those that were in the Wall Street bets community. Oh, and, yeah. And it would just try to, I mean, handicap them. Absolutely. And it defends hedge funds. Do you think that's an accident? No, that's exactly what their intention is. Their intention is to make it so that we can't do bear runs and bankrupt a hedge fund that, that is sitting uh, you know, over leveraged in a, a naked short position or whatever, whatever it was that allowed them to be in such a bad position. They want to make it so that the little guy can't fight back. That's what this is. And I really hope that people don't buy the lingo that this is about billionaires paying their fair share. It's simply not. So I don't know if I can make it any more explicit than that, uh, but that's the truth. And, and they're going to try and sell it to you on populist leftism uh, terms. And it has nothing to do with that. It's about basically oligopoly control of, of the poor that's, and the middle class for that matter. Yeah, I mean, because they can they can take the tax. I mean, probably I mean, it, it certainly will hurt them a little bit, but they can take the tax more than we can. Well, see, that's the thing. I'm not even sure they'll pay the tax. I mean, these these guys have so many different um, ownership methodologies where like they'll have LLCs and trusts and offshores and things like that. They'll find ways. I mean, they always find ways. The poor people are the ones that don't find ways. Um, so that's that's the main reason that I oppose this so adamantly and and why I hope people are are not going to fall for the the flowery language around it. I mean, it's so it's so transparent. And then on top of that, why are they even taxing us anymore? I mean, honestly, like if you're going to have, um, you know, seven or eight trillion dollars that they did over the past 12 months, that's just purely printed. You have a 20 trillion dollar annual budget. You have a 30 trillion dollar national debt. Um, why are you taxing us? Why, why, why are you even pretending that that's the problem with this country is that we don't pay enough taxes or that the wealthy don't pay enough taxes? That's not what it is. The problem is that you guys print too much and you spend too much. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, it all it all should stop. And tax evasion is now a moral good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I, I wanted to ask you about digital currency and what you think about that. Um, the idea that the Federal Reserve might issue a digital dollar. And if you think that's coming because they're going to default on the dollar through printing too much or or I guess what, what you think is going to happen in the next year. Sure. Uh, I think that the World Economic Forum and their, their Build Back Better, the Great Reset stuff is all legit. I mean, uh, they're, they're using the language. Every, almost every Western politician and many that are not Western politicians are using the exact Build Back Better language. I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's an accident. I think that their intention has been made clear. Uh, if you want to read about it, you can. And that's their plan. They, they, they intend to collapse the system. Um, and have a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, for the U.S. dollar coin, the you know Chinese yuan coin, like that's what they're going to do. They're going to replace fiat globally 
with an electronic competitor to Bitcoin and these other guys. That's that's their plan. And then people like, or countries like China have already criminalized uh, most, if not all, cryptocurrencies there. So that's that's the game plan, in my opinion. Um, I don't think it'll prevail because I think ultimately uh, people will find a way to keep their assets outside of these completely manipulated bullshit markets like a CBDC would be. Um, so it's it's a race, though. You know, like it's basically all of us individuals that are scattering, trying to figure out a way to to keep our head above water. And then you have these monolithic governmental entities and uh, and think tanks like the WEF that are are working in unison to try and drown us. Um, so, you know, who wins out? I'm not sure. Uh, but if if you're just simply asking me what their intention is, yeah, I would bet a lot of money that that's their intention. Yeah, what do you, I mean, do you think that if if nothing else changes right now, do you think that the next year is going to be devastating or the next five years, I guess? Like what what are the real economic conditions that we could be seeing. I know, I know Austrians, you know, they, the, the whole idea is that we're unable to predict human behavior and stuff like anything, sure. happen, but like, I happen to think that the federal reserve is one of the most pernicious institutions humankind has ever made. And I think that a lot of people are about to be woken up to, I mean, like a lot of the privilege and all of these stupid debates we have about stuff that doesn't seem to matter. Like those conversations will not be happening anymore in a few years. I think they, they shouldn't be happening now. If, if, if I'm being honest, like I, I I've been watching these, these uh, non-aggression principle debates on Twitter for the past 48 hours. And it's like, guys, we're being aggressed upon. What difference does it make? Like, like they're arguing whether or not we can use aggression. It's like, it's not aggression. It's self-defense. So why are we debating this? I don't understand. Um, so yeah, to, to your question, I mean, it's almost entirely predicated on what the Federal Reserve and what the federal government does in terms of continuing these bailouts. If they stop the bailouts, we are very near the end. If they continue with the bailouts, they can probably kick the can a little bit further. What is their intention? I don't know. You know, I think that their intention is to have a collapse to bring about the Great Reset. I don't know when they intend to do it. Um, so my siren call to, to my listening audience has just simply been, prepare as if it's coming tomorrow. Like you got it. You got to be preparing fucking now, like rapidly. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. And it may be a couple of years and God willing, it will be a couple of years because Lord knows I need to prepare more. And I'm sure everybody else out there listening feels like they need to prepare more too. So um, I think that, you know, it's, it's a good idea to prepare as, as aggressively as possible, but realize that there's a likelihood that the libertarians are too early because we usually are, you know, we normally think that, it, you know, doomsday is tomorrow. It usually isn't. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the advice I give is like act as if it's tomorrow, but expect it to be a little bit longer than you expect. Um, so I don't know. I, I really don't know how it, how it plays out, but I think that, you know, within the decade for sure, and probably within Biden's presidency, we will see uh, the, the true damage from all of the printing. I mean, we're already seeing it to some extent. It's just like, do we get to see the full teeth of this beast that we've created or uh, does it kind of, you know, keep its lips sealed a little long, a little longer? I, I, don't, I don't know. And then uh, what, I guess, what are you telling people to do? How, how should they prepare? Is it, is it cryptocurrency and gold? Yeah. I mean, those are my favorites. Uh, I don't like real estate right now simply because it's so overpriced. 
Um, but there is a tremendous shortage for it too, like in terms of supplies. So like it could go up another year, like it really could. Uh, but uh, if you're usually real estate is not a short-term holding. So like, I can't advise you to get real estate as a long-term hedge against inflation. Cause I think we will see a collapse in it, um, in the not too distant future. So my preference is cryptocurrency and gold, but I think that that precious metals are way undervalued compared to cryptocurrency. So I personally prefer it right now, um, but you can make outsized returns if you if you go the crypto route, as we've seen. Um, but I would like to, I would usually I try and advise people like buy on the pullbacks. We've seen enormous pullbacks in the crypto space. You could you could have got Bitcoin for 30k not that long ago. Uh, you could have you could have got it for 6k a year and a half ago. Uh, so for for you to be hopping in with both feet at 65k, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, so <laughs> you know people don't like it when I say that. They're like, well, if you think Bitcoin's going to be a quarter million dollars in five years, what difference does it make at, at what point I buy? It makes all the difference in the world. If you buy at 30k and it goes to 250,000, you've made eight and a half times your money. And if you buy at 65K and it goes to 250K, you've only made four times your money. I mean, it's a huge, huge fucking difference in return. So like it matters. Uh, so that's that's basically what I say is, you know, take take baby steps. If you don't have any exposure, yeah, maybe you want to buy at this level. Like I wouldn't blame you if you did. Um, oh, by the way, none of this is financial advice. I am a financial advisor and none of this is financial advice. Do what you will with your own money. This is what I would do personally, not, not advice. Uh, but yeah, that's what I say. Yeah. I, I wonder what you think about holding cash. I know a lot of people say that like cash will be sold at a premium or something like that. Yeah. Do, you, do you kind of buy into that? I do actually. Uh, this is, I'm one of the few libertarians that, that is predicting a deflationary collapse before uh, the hyperinflationary death spiral. So I, my belief is that the, the debt is so significant on a global level that we will likely see um, China collapse first and that on a relative basis will strengthen the US dollar, which will create a deflationary collapse in this country because the US dollar as it goes up in value means that assets go down. And, and that's, that's my prediction. I think that we will see a, a deflationary crisis similar to the 0809 period, and then uh, it'll be too late. And then they'll, they'll basically hyperinflate us, go to the CBDCs, all that. So that's my prediction. It could go straight into hyperinflation. I'm not saying that's impossible. I just think that uh, when everyone is predicting hyperinflation, I'm going to lean towards deflation. You know, I'm I'm a contrarian investor by by nature. That's how I've made you know the returns that I have over the years. Uh, I think that people are a little too certain of hyperinflation right now, and uh, usually when that happens, you see major swings to the to the opposite side. And then, uh, so you did you mentioned the Great Reset, and what I found is you know I go to a very progressive university. And every time you mention something like this, that like has truth in it, it's like the media have already defined um, the great reset or, or whatever other thing that is true and has truth in it as being much more absurd than it is. So everyone kind of like discounts it before you even talk about it. Mm. Um, so like, what would you say to people who, you know, as soon as they hear the words, the great reset, just tune out. I mean, I would show them the publications, show them the books. Like, this is not a fucking conspiracy theory. Like, these guys are open about it. Um, you could show them clips of a, a dozen politicians that should have no affiliation to each other, all saying build back better. Then you can show them the documentation that shows 
Klaus Schwab's, you know, build back better plans. Like there's a website, it's world economic forum. Like go look at it. I don't know. It's very, it's very hard to, to get through to these people. Like, I think that this goes along with Goebbels line of like, if a, if a lie is big enough, it's uh, it's pretty easy to make people believe it. It's like the, this is, this is such a big conspiracy that, and it's not a theory, it's a big conspiracy. Um, that it's very hard for people to believe it because it's being done in the open. I mean, they're actually talking about it openly. Biden tweets out every single day. I mean, he does and his handlers do, but they tweet out every single day, build back better. Like they do it. They don't care that we know they don't care. Like this is how they're, the mask is off. This is how they handle things now. So as far as reaching people that are blue pilled, honestly, after 18 months of this shit, if I can't, if you haven't been reached already, I don't really care about reaching you. I mean, just being honest, like uh, I, fi- I find that people that listen to me have already taken at least their first micro red pilling. And and those people I'm I have all the patience in the world for the people that are like, oh, the vaccine works and da, 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 and, you know, Fauci's a good guy. I don't fuck. I don't even care about you anymore. Like, I'm not trying to reach you. Like, if you think Fauci's a saint. Fuck, whatever. Live your life, man. Just <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. The thing that initially got me was the um, World Economic Forum posting the the short little clip kind of trying to make uh, the Great Reset trendy. And it, yes. it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, the, you'll own nothing and be happy. And they, and they thought that that was like, that's a selling point. Are yeah. you out of your minds? Like, do you know the materialistic nature of, of Western culture? Like, what are you what are you even talking about? But this is this is all this like to me, this is all part of their game plan over the past 50 years of converting us into Marxists. And you're at one of the colleges that is doing a great job of it. I'm sure they're trying to make people hate materialism and hate capitalism and hate all of the things that have made Western culture, you know, excel past uh, totalitarian regimes, which by the way, there's plenty of negatives to be said about materialism and and the, uh, you know, materialist nature of capitalism. But it is so far superior to top-down managed economies. It's insane. So I just hope that uh, I hope that they haven't done a good enough job that you know people that that sit on the internet on their iPhone, you know, benefiting from with their air conditioning, benefiting from all of the innovations of capitalism, uh, that they haven't been so indoctrinated that they will you know gleefully watch all of this come to to fruition because ultimately. Uh, I think that, you know, no matter how much they like to espouse their their Marxist nature and their hatred of capitalism, these people still like the benefits of it a lot. So um, I think when rubber hits the road, uh, we'll find out if these people are true blue Marxists or not. And I, I think that they're probably not. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I was thinking this today when I saw the prices of gas in California. I, I saw a photo of it and it's just like you you could totally see these people who really are living in one of the most privileged times. I mean, the most privileged times. In, in history and they're going to have to pay so much for gas that they've never seen before. And they're going to start have to, they're, they're just going to have to look at reality completely different. And I wonder if their politics will change because of that. And I, I surely hope they hope it does. But unfortunately I think that a lot of people will blame capitalism, like you said yes. earlier, and yep. nothing will change. Um, well, I, I, I wouldn't say nothing. I mean, there will be, it's basically like it's increasing the divide amongst us, though. What what it's really doing is it's forcing like the MAGA conservative types to really look at their values and go like, all right, the police close my business. The police are enforcing the lockdowns. The police are enforcing mask mandates, the vaccine mandates. The police are 
or, you know, the FBI is now threatening me if I go and I protest the curriculum at my school. Like, that's a good thing. Like, that's a really good thing that the, the right wing is being forced to to reassess their preconceived notions about the military and the enforcement arm of the state. So that gives me a lot of hope. The left also is having their come to Jesus moment when it comes to bodily autonomy. You know, like these people don't get a twist. There are a ton of Democrats that hate these mandates. They are anti-vax way more than I am. Um, so I think that those people are being red pulled to some extent too. So like, this is, this is not without hope. And uh, you know, I, I think that you're right though. The, the kind of armchair, the pajama class, as uh, Bridget Fetessy calls them, that, that got to sit at home and make six figures, um, they're going to blame capitalism and they're going to do their dutiful job. They're going to listen to Stephen Colbert at night and then go out and parrot his bullshit jokes. No, we're not going to reach those people. But there's a lot of there's millions and millions that are being reached. And, you know, I think that that gives me some hope. Um, but the uh, the pajama class, we ain't reaching those people. They have it. Yeah, I do think you're right about that, actually. I, uh, I Something that I've talked about before is just the idea that everything we saw in 2020, the pandemic, the lockdowns, it is not necessarily a leftist thing. And the fact that it has rep- like expressed itself through the left and through the Democratic Party or whatever is totally irrelevant. Like this totally could have been out of the Bush administration. This could have been out of, you know, the right. And if, if Trump was still in office, it probably would be. So it really isn't partisan. And I think, I mean, it's just, there's evidence in the fact that like Rihanna's wearing shirts, kind of like nodding at the fact that all of this is bullshit. And then there's NBA players saying that they're not buying into it. Kyrie Irving, man. I, my, my most viral tweet of all time, I had 45,000 likes on it, uh, was just talking about Kyrie. I just said like, whatever you feel about him, anybody who's willing to risk $45 million deserves your respect. Like that is balls. And, uh, and I think that the, uh, you saw black lives matter, you know, protests that were basically breaking through barricades at the, the Brooklyn Nets uh, arena a couple days ago. I mean, this is big. And, and you had MAGA people marching alongside BLM. That's big. And the media ain't covering that because they can't have that. That is not allowed. Um, so I think that there's hope. I mean, it the the hope lies in unity. And I know people get pissed when I say it and they make fun of me when I say it, but it's the truth. If we can have a populist uprising that is that is as far away from left and right as possible and is based off of our shared values, which we still have a few, not all of us, but there's a lot of people in this country that have shared values that don't like the vaccine mandates. We have hope. We have hope if that can happen, but we can't get caught up in the partisan divide. We can't get caught up in the partisan nature of modern American politics. If we do, we're playing right into their hands. And Magnus Benvidia is right about that. That's the reason that he allies with both the left and the right. With anybody that sees the true enemy, he's completely on board with you. He's right about that. I'm not saying that it'll prevail. I'm not I'm not saying that his tactics will be successful because I don't know that people can see through the partisan bullshit of all this. Um, but that is our greatest hope. Because if we come together, they can't fucking stop us. That's a fact. Yeah, that, that's why I love um, Scott Horton's approach against sectarianism and just the attack the left from the left strategy and attack the right from the right strategy. It works. I've seen it. I've seen it happen in my own life just here at the university. Like if, if you appeal to the left from the left, like you you can bring them over. And, yep. you know, if 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 the LP, if the libertarian movement doesn't take advantage of this, like then, then we're screwed. Like the the fact that we are talking about this NAP NAP thing and um, 
I, I kind of got into the conversation. I, I was tweeting about it, but at the end, I was just like, we've already like, like the people who are in the libertarian party have already conceded the agorist or like the non-aggression principle thing that they're talking about. They've already decided that they're willing to use some political force. We would call it defense, but like the people who are currently in this debate would call it aggression or something like that. Like they've already conceded it saying that they're going to be in the party. So like we're now mm-hmm. the conversation has evolved into, is it the LP or is it the GOP? And I think it's both. I mean, I don't know why we wouldn't try both and we wouldn't try to unite with people. Yeah. I, I don't have any, any hard preference on this. I, my only preference is that people stop attacking each other that are allies. Cause I think it's really fucking counterproductive and stupid, especially if it's, you know, the anarchists versus libertarians versus the capital LP versus the Mises caucus versus the Mises GOP. Like, Y'all are all allies. So if you're going to fight against each other, you're dumb. I mean, mm-hmm. you are super, super dumb because <laughs> because we are so outnumbered. If you want to divide us further, good luck. It ain't going to happen. Like basically just accept the fact that you want to be a lone wolf and you want to go live in the woods on your own, in which case, God bless, go do it. But shut up about other people that are trying to work together because that's not how you actually get political change. Now, if you don't believe in political change, if you're going the full agorist lone wolf route, like I said, God bless. Um, I don't think you want to live that life for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you would have already done it and you wouldn't be online talking about this shit. You would have already moved to your farm and had your you know, army of children that are all trained like like uh, Navy SEALs. And yet you haven't done it. So I think you're full of shit. So that's that's my stance on all of this. It, now I've upset everybody and I don't really give a fuck because I think that it's important that people understand the urgency of the situation and realize that like. Just because you have decided you've got sick of the LP, and I grant you there's plenty of reasons to be sick of the LP, that doesn't mean that your strategy of going to the GOP is going to work because those people are scumbags too, and we all know it. So, like, why are you going to sit on, uh, you know, on your high horse and pretend as if, like, this is the way? Like, you don't know. I don't know. Why, why is everyone pretending to have certitude? We have failed miserably for 100 years. Way longer than that. I mean, well, if you want to include the LP, then it's just 50 years. But regardless, we failed for longer than I've been alive. So I'm open to anybody who's pushing the ball forward, however they want to push it. And I just wish that people would stop hating on each other. That's all. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, I, I do think that we like we should really talk about the urgency of things, too. But I, I do yes. like to put um I guess, a a white pill out there that there is a lot of hope when it comes to red states, like in Mm -hmm. in Montana, for instance, like we're untouchable. I, at least for now, as the culture stands, we're, we're untouchable. Um, Actually before DeSantis uh, put out that law about um, making discrimination towards vaccine status illegal, Montana had done it and there are already lawsuits in the courts and that got more press. So, I mean, I, that's great. I think we're doing great here. Just I, what, what I'm trying to encourage is just creating cultures locally and connecting with people. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, I'm in the Mises caucus in Montana and the LP, and we just agree that Montana comes first and we try not to engage in the drama. So I hope I people it. do that. And I, I yeah. really hope that like, even, even though there is some stuff to like be urgent about there's always these red states to fall back on like new hampshire and, and montana and we should well always that. always up until they they turn the military on us i mean it's not it's not impossible that it gets real bad but yeah always, I guess you're- always is a bad bad word but I, yeah. I do think that like if you know if the free state movement becomes the final 
thing that we have to do, then they're there. We can all come together. No, there's, there's tons of reasons to be optimistic. Like that's, that's the other thing that probably doesn't come through if you just read my Twitter feed, but I always try and include some optimism. Like I wouldn't be talking into a microphone multiple times a week. If I didn't have some hope, I would just be like, all right, I'm going to go fucking live my life. Like I'm already a you know somewhat wealthy guy. Like I don't need to be doing this. Like I do it because I care. And I, and I do it because I think that there's a chance that my caring about this might change things. Um, maybe it's delusional. I don't know, but Regardless, I feel it, you know, I feel it in my heart uh, or else I wouldn't be doing this. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic, actually. I think that there's there's tons of reasons to be like. Overjoyed, honestly, like the fact that I found this community has been a lifesaver to me, like it's it's incredible that I have twenty three thousand people that follow me now and and thousands of them would like literally invite me into their home, you know, like that's that's amazing. It's, it's touches my heart. It's incredible. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super optimistic about that. I'm super opt- optimistic about the fact that so many people have been red pilled about elections and about democracy and about, uh, you know, these mandates and all sorts of other things like the, 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 the news media, uh, the military industrial complex, the world economic forum, like all these things that people are now privy to that they weren't a few years ago, including myself. I wasn't aware of world economic forum then. So I think that there's, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic for sure. Yeah. The, the news media is a big one too, because like, like media has completely decentralized. And I, I think Michael Malice talks about this, that we shouldn't use the word mainstream media at all, because like you look at Joe Rogan's numbers compared to CNN's yeah. Joe Rogan's mainstream. <laughs> like you're He's probably next those assholes. Yeah. You're, you're more mainstream technically like, than <laughs> some of those, some of those channels. So like what, I, I don't, I don't really get it, but I definitely get way more interaction on my, on my tweets than, you know, some of these losers do on yeah. MSNBC and stuff. It's weird. I mean, it's, it's weird, but this is, this is progress. Like it, it is progress that, that independent voices like, like our own are, are now getting such traction that like we were entities, you know, it's, it's weird. Um, but it's healthy. Like this is what needs to happen because like, regardless of whether or not I'm right or wrong on everything I say, I am always trying to tell the truth. And you cannot say that about the corporate media. Like they are never telling you the truth unless it aligns perfectly with whatever narrative has been dictated to them on high. So, uh, it's, it's a very healthy development that people no longer trust the media, both on the left and right more on the right. Um, but that's progress. That's huge progress. And, and, you know, Michael Malice, Joe Rogan, a bunch of people are, are to blame or to, to receive credit for that. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, man. We're going to have to do it again. Um, for sure. Yeah. I hope to see you in person again at one of the Liberty events. Yeah, man. I'll just keep me posted on whichever one you uh, go to. Uh, anyone wants to follow me. It's at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter, Liberty Lockdown on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, all over the place. Um, I'm also on Locals and Locals just got acquired by Rockfin today. So I'll be on Rockfin here shortly, it seems like. Sweet. And I'll link all of that into the description of the video. I know you will. I'm just, I just got to plug them, you know? Yeah, of course. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. Peace out, brother. It's the weekend. We can let go. It's the full send. It's the get-go. It's the get-go.